Today's show is brought to you by Audible. Visit audiblepodcast.com forward slash auction podcast for your free audiobook download. Hi, everyone. This is Martin Willis with the Antique Auction Podcast. And I want to talk a little bit. Phyllis has not been with us the last number of podcasts, first of all, because I was on the East Coast. And second of all, because she's working really hard, um, she claims she's going to have more free time and join us fairly soon. So look for her coming up. Again, this is Martin Willis, and I'm on the phone with a great guest in Sarasota, Florida, Chrissy Gallery. Bruce, Chrissy, how you doing? I am fine, Martin. And how about yourself? Great, great. Now, you and I go back a number of years. I met you, and um, I brought some things down to you, some nice Tiffany and things like that. And you have a wonderful gallery in what I consider one of the nicest parts of Florida, Sarasota. Well, we certainly love it here. Uh, we've been here since the late 70s and uh, have had an open shop here in Sarasota since 78, so we enjoy it. Now, since I've been there, I think it was the early 90s, do you have a... a I was looking online. You have a new facility? Actually, we do, Martin. We had been in one of the downtown sort of ritzy shopping districts for 15, 16 years and had watched our rent go from sort of affordable to astronomical. Mm. And, you know, being still young at that point, I decided it was really a better idea if we were going to make big payments to do something to the bank. So we wound up uh, relocating to a, a fairly nice facility that we built out to our own specs back in 95 and hmm. so now we uh, were owners instead of tenants well you know I remember when I first stepped into your shop and this is going back near 20 years um, I was just blown away by the cut glass I remember that just like sparkling cut glass you had it so well displayed and lit and I can't imagine with enough with the amount of inventory moving a facility like that I mean you have lots and lots of pieces right well, it, it was a, a bit of a daunting task. We felt, though, since we were moving to a new location, that we really would want to sort of start with a clean slate, if you would think of it as that. And we did a, a progressive sale as we closed the store mm, and sold smart. the entire inventory out from the old location and then sent the balance off to auction. So when we opened here in the store, we had a, a completely new and, and fresh inventory for people to peruse. Wow, wow. That's uh, rotating your stock for real. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, we our industry doesn't really look at things like the traditional retailer would, where we would have things for, you know, a year and then mark them down and, and move them out the door. Mm -hmm. But we're pretty diligent about trying to keep the inventory turning to keep it interesting for us and keep it interesting for the customers when they come in so they're not always looking at the same old thing just a, a different day. Right, right. Now, what is your, you started, your, you're part of a family business like I was, so why don't you tell a little bit of history about that? Well, we are a family business. We uh, started originally in upstate New York in Rochester in the early 1960s. Uh, my mother had been a collector, and she was a, a single parent raising a family of three kids and was looking to find ways to sort of supplement the family income. Hmm. And at that time, she had a close friend who was an antique dealer that she used to sort of pal around and do some things with. And that gal was fortunate enough to have a very large inheritance come her way, and she decided she was going to take an early retirement. 
So she approached my mother with the possibility of, of buying a portion of her inventory, and that was uh, 1964. And unfortunately, my mother didn't really have any spare money to be able to do anything with. And, and this gal was really a very kind soul and a wonderful person. And she offered to let my mother buy the inventory with no money down, and then wow. as she sold it, pay her and reimburse her for the, the wow. purchase price. So my mom had had a, an accident just prior to that and was physically uh, sort of disabled. I mean, she could get around, but she couldn't lift more than five pounds. She'd had several vertebrae mm. that had to be fused. So she came to me and asked if I'd be the schlepper or gopher. <laughs> and uh, at that time, I was just a little kid. I was eight years old and uh, gave up my paper mm. route and decided <laughs> to go into the antique business instead. And it's, it's been a, a wonderful ride ever since. Yes, yeah. I do remember you as someone with a boatload of knowledge. You just had a tremendous amount of knowledge. And so what? when did you eventually move down to Florida? Uh, we moved to Florida in 78. I got out of high school in 74 and had an open shop in uh, upstate New York at that time, looked into going to Cornell University and, and found that coming out of college I would enable me to be a curator, which I found really didn't stimulate me personally the way I had you know, I wanted to be. I wanted to buy and sell and I liked a variety of categories, so opened a store instead and uh, found it was just too cold up north and said, heck, let's move down where it's warm. Hmm. And was uh, Sarasota your first stop? It was. Uh, Good choice. My grandparents lived here, and, and my dad had moved here after my parents separated in the late 50s. So uh, it was a, sort of a logical place to come. I, I came to visit in the middle of February, and I thought to myself, this is what <laughs> life is all about. Right. You know, 72 right. degrees and, and sunny and, and gorgeous. So we were, I think, a, a little bit ahead of the, the timeline of people who, who made the exodus into Florida. So it was fortunate for us to get a little bit established here before, you know, the, the, the storms hit, so to speak, with the huge influx of people. Right, right. Yeah, I heard at one time there was something like 1,500 people a day moving into Florida or something uh, like that. Yeah. Maybe even more than that. I don't know. No, it was some number like that, Martin. And, and if you think about that day after day after day moving into yeah. a state uh, over a, a decade's time, it's amazing how many people can come. But we've had our, our comeuppance. You know, we've uh, seen that rapid growth that occurred in real estate. And uh, certainly now there's probably better opportunities for people than there ever have been. Mm -hmm. You know, the, mm -hmm. the, the real estate's really dropped substantially. So. Now, have you done any other type of work besides the antique business, or have you always been in it? No, pretty much we really have, you know, we're old school in that we're generalists, you know, we're mm -hmm. not a specialist in one field, and, and we've done, uh, you know, most aspects of the antique business, from doing shows, we've done estate sales, we've done appraisals, we've had open shops, uh, in the 70s, I, we even hauled things out west when the, the big craze oh, yeah. to take oak furniture out <laughs> to California and out on the west coast was in place. I we remember that. when oak was golden, as they say. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. wow. Um, so I didn't know you were involved in that part of it. When I visited you in the 90s, you were doing some TV show on antiques. Is that right? We did do a, a local show called The Wealth of Collecting. Mm -hmm. where we would take examples of things and uh, discuss what they were and how they were made and 
you know, some of their historical significance. We discussed current values at that time. And, and one of the things that we felt most, uh, you know, the best about was showing people how to distinguish between reproductions and mm. the real thing, which mm-hmm. was trying to share some knowledge. That's great. That's um, one thing I often talk about. Um, go on a couple of rants now and then about reproductions and fakes, and there is definitely difference between a reproduction and a fake. You know, a fake is a purpose. Um, There is, and and the biggest thing is oftentimes, you know, someone unsuspecting buys a a fake or reproduction, and afterwards they they generally, you know, remove themselves from the market because it was such a bad experience for them when they find out what they bought that Mm -hmm. everybody loses. And so, you know, we really like to have knowledgeable people and and like to share whatever it is that we know. You know, some things are really, I I feel, really, really difficult to tell between an original and a reproduction or fake. And glass, a lot of times, follows along that line. I think, um, you know, there are a lot of tremendously finely crafted fakes, if you will, on, say, Galet glass. Some of them can be really outstanding work. Um, how? What is your, your best defense against buying something like that? Well, people are, are, are you know, looking more and more into the provenance of pieces. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, since these things don't really come with uh, certificates of authenticity from the artist, you know, when they were done 100 years ago, nobody ever knew they were going to need to worry about that sort of thing. Hmm. So now people like to know, if possible, the collections that they've been in, the family that they've been in. Uh, you know, they like to get the history as, as a further verification. Uh, there, there are things, I mean, once you, I, I equate it to cars, and I always say that if you owned a 1957 Thunderbird and there was one sitting in a parking lot and there weren't any names or anything to indicate what it was, you would look at it and you would still know that was a 57 Thunderbird. Mm -hmm. And you would recognize it as being an original or whether it was one of the kit cars. And so nothing can beat, you know, hands-on experience, I don't believe, with seeing hundreds if not thousands of of objects that would be, you know, in, in similar fields to help you to sort of refine your eye and to understand how an old one looks and the, the differentiation between a, a new constructed thing and an older piece of glass even. So. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, I know, for instance, in ceramics and pottery, there's a scientific way to date exactly when it was fired, when it hit a certain temperature. But when it comes to glass, I mean, there's no science that I'm aware of. Are you? No, there's nothing that I'm aware of either. You're right. Mm. And, uh, you know, as you say, the the reproductions continue to get better and better. They they take these original examples and and send them over to these factories throughout Europe and and quite extensively in China now, and they're good. They they take the micrometer out and they get the thickness. They get everything Mm. just so. So you've got to stay on your toes. That's right. That's right. And I think, um, you know, unfortunately, a lot of them do slip through auction totally by error. And when when it comes to uh, family provenance and stuff, now I can see what you're talking about. You know, I, I worked on an estate about a year and a half ago, and they had some uh, Dome Nancy really nice uh, pieces. And, you know, that was the number one thing people called about. You know, what's the family history? And they did very well, you know, I mean, it, it was traced back to 
you know, the 1920s or so in the family, and it, it did fairly well. But, boy, I'll tell you, it's tricky. <laughs> yes, it is. It, it's, uh, it, it gets harder and harder. It, so it's, I think that's one of the important things about sharing. You know, when mm -hmm. you have other people that are, that are friends or colleagues or collectors, and, and they're knowledgeable as well, oftentimes you'll kind of get around a piece and you'll look at it and you'll sort of have a round table discussion about it and everybody's throwing out their ideas and their opinions and their evaluations and and i think that's a very good growth session you know everybody comes away usually having learned something yeah well i know um on the antiques road show before they ever get in front of the camera they do uh, confer with each other mm -hmm. on what something is you know, yep. it's, it's really good. Now, I want to talk to you a little bit about cut glass because I know you, you dealt or deal in really fine examples. I've noticed, at least on the West Coast, that um, cut glass, for the most part, has seemed to have tumbled down in value. Is that, is that um, good across the board, or is the high-end pieces still holding? No, I, you know, the, the beautiful uh, nine-inch fruit bowl that used to sell for $350 is probably available today for 75 to $145, mm. depending on pattern. Mm. And the, the, you know, what we're seeing oftentimes in the whole antique business is that it's sort of a graying market. And so the people are uh, either getting much more knowledgeable and are only looking for that 1% at the top, and certainly cut glass is, has found that to be true. Uh, the, the great patterns, the, the rare examples, the, the really good American cut-to-clear pieces that you'll see have maintained and in some instances, even in this bad economy, increased in price. But the, the, the traditional, the sort of staple of the industry has dropped, oh, I don't know. Some of it's fallen off the face of the earth. I mean, some right. is not saleable at any price. Well, now, uh, I'm not going to stay on fakes and things too long, but I do want to jump back to that. Uh, I was involved in an auction that had supposedly a very rare piece of, uh, I believe it was hawks, it was some type of plate that was very extremely rare, mm -hmm. and I believe it sold somewhere around $11,000, if I remember right, right. and uh, was shipped out and ended up being a fake. I mean, it was an incredible fake, and of course we refunded the money and everything. But there was something someone said about a black light in a color. Do you know anything about that? Uh, yes. In the as the prices started to escalate dramatically in the late '70s and early '80s, in some of the rare cut glass patterns and plates have always been desirable because as a flat surface they display almost like a canvas a pattern quite dramatically mm. so there were a handful of dealers that realized these patterns were quite rare and they wound up going to turkey and having some glass cutters over there produce these rare patterns on blanks that they were blowing in turkey now what's happened is my understanding is it's the chemical makeup of the glass itself is different from the antique whether it's the type of sand that's used or the proportions that's used. And so they started to see that there were the numbers of these rare plates and rare pattern pieces that were turning up in the marketplace, and everybody was alarmed. And so they were like, you know, we've never seen so many, and how can we tell if these are old? And there were a panel of 
collectors that got together, and one of them was an engineer, and for some reason they just decided to try a black light on these things. Hmm. And so there are two different colors. There's sort of a, a limey green color that, that will fluoresce, and then there's a, a sort of a, a purplish hue that will come up. And, oh boy, I want to make sure I get this right here because I don't want to tell them. <laughs> you say the wrong ones are right. Get the wrong color here. Um, I probably ought to grab the book and... and okay, getting the right information up here for our listeners. It is a a lime green or sort of an apple green that it's supposed to fluoresce for the old pieces and sort of a rose or a purple that will or nothing at all that will fluoresce for a newer piece but it it is proven to be uh, quite a little uh, godsend so to speak in the industry because uh, there were other people that were producing things there's some glass blowers here in the states today who are making glass and it, it, it's really helped or solidified the industry to, uh, you know, differentiate again between the real and the not real. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, um, not to drag this out too far, but unfortunately I find that when someone finds a way around it, then, um, um, then the people faking will find a way around that. Well, that's <laughs> well, true. So uh, the one thing happen. is that many of these patterns are so labor-intensive to produce. Mm. Mm -hmm. I mean that it literally is is you know a forty-hour week to make one of these. That the, the skilled labor capable of doing it is is paid pretty well here in the states, and so that was why they wound up going to Turkey and some of these other areas where they might have had the ability, but the pay scales were different. Mm. So. Uh, I, I think we still have a, a bit of a window here that most of these things are distinguishable and, and we can feel relatively comfortable in, in their acquisition. But again, it comes down to what's the provenance on these things. How far mm -hmm. back can we, you know, definitively place this item? And if you can date it, you know, pre-1960s even, they really haven't been making anything, you know, earlier than that other than the original of the period pieces. Right, right. So let's talk a little bit about the type of things that you deal in. Well, we're really fortunate because, you know, we started early on and, and have had many years to be exposed to a lot of different categories. And we have really diverse interests and tastes. And so the store will reflect, you know, anything from uh, 18th century American and continental furniture right straight through some mid-century stuff here, you know, 1950s pieces. And it'll be, you know, we have sort of two showrooms. One is a, a, a kind of get-your-feet-wet decorative showroom where the things will be, you know, $10 up to maybe a few thousand dollars. And then we have sort of an exotic showroom, which is going to have a little more, uh, well, rarer examples, you know, superior pieces that can run up into, you know, whatever the six figure certainly. So mm -hmm. um, we have, a, I don't know, a really unique marketplace. Sarasota has the largest concentration of retired foreign service personnel of anywhere in mm. the country. Wow. I know it. And so you have people who have traveled the world who have settled here and retired, 
and as they start to downsize or make changes, their collections of things come into the market. And so for a small city, we're afforded this little, uh, you know, worldwide microcosm right here because of all these things that people have brought with them. Wow. Now, it used to be said that um, a lot of people from the north retire to Florida and, you know, in general and um, take their small items or paintings glass, things like that with them. So I've always known it as a great place to buy, you know. And my friend back east in Massachusetts, John McGinnis, is now focusing quite a bit on the state, you know, going back and forth from Massachusetts to Florida in general and accepting consignments from down there. That's and, very true, Martin. Uh, you know, if you think about it, just human nature, if you're getting ready to root relocate, you're going to take with you the things that you love the most and cherish the most, mm -hmm. and that often translates into some of the rarer, more desirable pieces, and then they're here in our marketplace, and you know, if they come up for sale, you, you hopefully get a shot at them. Mm -hmm. Now, do you buy at auction as well as, um, I know you bought, you know, years ago, I was involved in an auction, you bought it. Do you still do a lot of buying at auction? Well, I do. Um, I, I shouldn't say a lot. We, mm -hmm. we do buy at auction. Um, I love auctions. I, I believe in the process and, and, and enjoy it. I, I feel a little like a diabetic in a bakery when I go to one of those things. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. it's just, uh, I love it. I, I find myself, though, more often than not that I'm the bridesmaid instead of the bride, you know. <laughs> I mean, I always the underbidder on these things. Mm -hmm. So it's, That's a uh, very important person, by the way. <laughs> well, <laughs> that's probably true, but it, uh, it's more rewarding when you get to bring it home. Sure. You know, it's funny, as I, uh, when you and I met, there was a, a piece of glass that was at uh, that sale that I underbid and did not bring home, and it was a, a decorated red Tela Lamarna vase, mm. and I still remember that piece. I actually still have a photograph of that vase <laughs> in my desk drawer, <laughs> and, you know, I don't really remember the things that I bought that I made mistakes on or lost money on or, or any of those. I remember the things that I didn't buy. Mm. It, mm -hmm. It's uncanny, and and that vase is one of those ones that if you could turn back the hands of time, I guess I'd probably push it another three or four bids just to see if you couldn't bring it home. Right, right. You know, there's a ran into some dealer at Brimfield that um, I really respect, and I'm trying to remember who it is, but he, the saying he had, he said, if you buy the the top five percent in any category, buy it. <laughs> You know, and, uh, you know, I mean, that's that was his motto, and, you know, I, I think he's always done very well. He's always been sort of ahead of everything, you know. Well, it's true. I mean, it's a little bit of a bitter pill at the time because normally the pricing mm -hmm. of these items is, uh, you know, uh, pretty stiff. But fortunately at the moment, I think most things have come down in price, and, and even some of the, the rarer examples of things have come down. And so we're looking at this as a wonderful opportunity, you know, and, and we've been pretty aggressively buying and acquiring things, and as long as we're, you know, not greedy and willing to work on 10 and 20% profits, we find people are agreeing with us, and we're selling it. We're doing business. Wow. I was just going to ask you how you've adjusted your business in the, uh, the, econ uh, the economy situation. Oh, so absolutely. So that's basically what you've done. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, initially, when it first happened, we were selling things for losses, and it really, you know, sometimes it was 10%, sometimes it was 40%. 
because that was the price level that things needed to be yeah. to be able to make them saleable. And what we had right. paid for them, you know, six months or a year earlier really didn't matter anymore. Right, right. And if you were stubborn, um, you probably wouldn't be talking to me right now. <laughs> well, we've certainly seen a lot of people here in our community that have, have not weathered the storm. Mm -hmm. Some of them were just, you know, sort of ready to, to make a change anyway, and I think this just sort of uh, forced them to make that decision. But some people have closed just because, it, you know, they couldn't make it work anymore. Right. Now, you do, you have a website, and while we're on that, can you go ahead and give that out? Sure. Um, our business name is called Chrissy Galleries, which is my last name, and the website is Chrissy.com, C-R-I-S-S-Y. Mm -hmm. And I'll, I'll tell you that we probably put about 65 to 70% of our inventory online. Mm. And I, I do it because I try to, you know, as a bricks-and-mortar location, Mm -hmm. If somebody makes the effort to come and see us, I try to have a little something that, that they just get to see because they made that effort. Mm. And so it's, it's me kind of clinging to my 19th century roots here, I guess, <laughs> a little bit. So. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, do you, uh, you, you must have connections. I know you do shows. We can talk a little bit about that as well. But do you have um, connections throughout the country that you've worked with for many years, regulars? <laughs> You do. I mean, mm -hmm. having done this for, you know, the period of time that we have, we've crossed paths with people sometimes over and over and over again. And, and you sort of develop a, you know, a working relationship with people in, in lots of different uh, parts of the country. And it, it normally takes years to do that, you know. I mean, before you can find out that, that people are really as good as their word and as mm -hmm. good as they say they are. So, uh, yes, we do. We have people that if something comes up that's, it's better situated in another location if you were to find a piece of southern furniture that was made in North Carolina where the appreciation is greater there mm -hmm. you need to have somebody that you can sort of contact and know and trust to, to move it along in their direction right that makes total sense regional pieces yeah. mm -hmm. In in the show circuit, we we do one antique show a year, which is in Miami at the Convention Center. Right, uh -huh, which is a, a very big decorative arts show. Mm -hmm. uh, probably has a thousand, twelve hundred dealers. Certainly, some of the finest in the country that come to exhibit there, and it's a very uh, you know hands-on. You could go there and probably see two hundred, two hundred and fifty Tiffany lamps all in one location. Wow. And that's a pretty rare thing, you know, <laughs> mm -hmm. to have comparisons of styles and prices and, and to see good, better, and best even in, in the same identical lamps is a, a really good opportunity. Mm -hmm. And then we do two shows in the jewelry side of things, one in Las Vegas that's in June and another one that's in New York City that's in July. Now, I heard before, I know you deal in jewelry and people have... Uh, that I have talked to that know of your gallery say that you're actually you're a place where people can actually buy I mean a lot of jewelry estate jewelry places are really difficult to buy but um, from what I understand your your place you have you have the price right well uh, we try you know I mean it's um, we find that it's a lot more fun to make a little something and turn over a number of pieces and, and mm -hmm. more rewarding for us and more exciting and, and certainly at these price points, you can tie up a small fortune pretty quick and, and literally not be in a position to keep buying. So better to keep it selling. Sure. So we, we try to, you know, 
we have a feel. I mean, I, I get the catalogs. I know the pricing kind of worldwide. And we, we try to offer value if we possibly can. So. Right. Now, what, what percentage would you say of your business is the jewelry? Well, in the last you know, couple of years, I think you've probably heard this from other dealers, there, there's been a tremendous flight to quality. You know, mm-hmm. people were always interested in, in buying better things, but certainly in the last two years, you know, the, the jewelry has been an area that has, has sort of held up and there's still great interest. But they still want to buy, you know, if at all possible, the sign pieces, the Tiffany, the Cartier, the Van Cleef mm. and Arpel, the, you know, the David Webb, the Raymond Yards, all, all of the different, you know, high-end designers and, and jewelers at the different periods of time are really what's in demand. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, uh, moving a little bit out of this, what, what do you, th- you know, we've seen a lot of changes over the years, and You've weathered every type of recession since uh, going way back to the 70s. And I remember a lot of them in the business. Um, it seems like about, I don't know, every eight to ten years <laughs> you kind of go through something. So what do you, do you have an idea of what you think the future is going to be? Or not necessarily immediate a future, but do you think that Internet is just going to keep growing as far as how people do business? So what's, what's your idea on that whole thing? I, I do think that the internet has been remarkable for the industry. Uh, you know, anybody who's in a small town realizes that their their base of, of customer base is just local. And now all mm-hmm. of a sudden you can have people worldwide. Mm-hmm. I do believe, though, that our industry is still a tactile experience. And I think that you can get much greater enjoyment out of seeing handling really interacting with a piece mm. and so uh, I'm in hopes that, that the shops can survive and that they you know that the shows can and enable people to you know still get these things in their hand and not have to have a, a virtual tour of an item to you know to buy it from mm-hmm. so I, I think there needs to be a balance or I'm hoping that there will be a balance me too yeah, I think a lot of what goes on is the Internet can be used as a tool. This is just my opinion. You're talking about handling things. You know, for that to go away completely would be, you know, just a shame. And I, I feel the same way. If I'm going to invest some money into something, I'm really going to going to go look at it. Now, you see people bidding hundreds of thousands of dollars online at auction, and they've only seen a digital image. You, they can get enough information, but still, I, I can't understand that. I just wouldn't feel comfortable myself. No, I, I watched an item sell uh, oh a year or so ago. We that uh, was I had seen images of it, and it, it looked really wonderful in the pictures. But when you walked in and you saw this thing in person, the presence mm-hmm. that it had, it, it literally stopped you in your tracks for just an instant. And I just don't think that you know pictures can have quite that same impact to them. That's right. That's right. Um, and also, on the other side of that coin, um, images can be enhanced a little bit, too. <laughs> oh, isn't that the truth, Martin? Have, have you ever tried to buy real estate online? <laughs> <laughs> As they say, photos can lie, you know, yeah. both positively and negatively, both. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Well, it's an interesting business, isn't it? And um, I really... Uh, I really enjoy meeting people like you and someone that really knows her subject the way you do. Well, I think that's another thing that this business does. It, it offers a tremendous camaraderie. Mm-hmm. I, 
I find that antique people as a whole are very multifaceted. You know, you don't ever just find a, a plain vanilla. People tend to be characters, and, and they tend <laughs> to be really, you know, ex exceptional people. And that's probably my greatest joy in this, is, is having met some people who are just, you know, just neat as could be. Sure, yeah. And, and it's really nice to see the knowledge, you know, passed down, you know, and, and um, I really enjoy people that are free with their knowledge. It's really very helpful for everyone. I agree. I don't know if you knew him. There was a great dealer from Philadelphia, a guy by the name of Charles Sterling. And Charles no, no, had been no, no, in business no. since the, oh my gosh, I guess he started in the, ooh, after the Second World War when he was in high school. And he was somebody that would share things with you and, and had such a wealth of knowledge. And, yeah, I, I certainly learned a great deal from Charles. And, yeah, yeah, I think it's important that we all share what we know. Right, right. If only it wouldn't be like that movie where you could just download their knowledge, you know? <laughs> <laughs> that would be. I mean, if we could get technology to that level, that would be remarkable. That would be a great thing. Yeah, yeah there was a, a guy I grew up with in in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. Um, his name was Joe Copley, and he was a historian, um, you know, an amateur historian, but he was a collector, again, you know, going back uh, to World War II, and, you know, you know, I mean, he just passed his knowledge along so much and was uh, a great help and a great influence in my life. I think everyone needs that if they're going to stay in this business. They need that encouragement, and you've stayed at it all your life, and so have I, and no, it's not like every not everyone that does that. <laughs> no, you you see people that kind of come into the industry and go. But mm -hmm. It's also you know we're the guy that when you're sitting there with two minutes extra to spare, you're picking up a catalog from uh, an auction house or you're grabbing a book on the topic because you really love it. You know, I mean, and right. that passion is I think that last ten percent. That, that turns us into, you know, hopefully something more than just the norm. Right, right. And there's so much, a lot of times people will ask me, is it, you know, just the money and all that? And it, to me, that has little to do with it. A lot of it is uh, just handling something really fine. It's very exciting. And the money, you know, hard to believe, isn't so much of an issue as what the item is for me that gets my passion, you know? No, but I think initially it, it is the money that opens people's eyes, and I think that's a good yeah. thing. Mm -hmm. You know, they, they look at it and they say, how in the world can that thing be worth that kind of money? <laughs> I think I want to know something about it. And good so point. It hmm. brings you in, and somewhere along the way, the, the money side sort of melts away, and you become really intrigued by how the person created, you know, the, mm -hmm. the understanding of the material that they were working with, the aesthetic sense of proportions, you know, their place in history and time, and putting that all together into one place, you know, you stand back in awe and say, wow, these people really got it. Mm -hmm. And I think that, at least for me, that's what happened, you know, as a little kid, I was a, a greedy, grubby little kid, and, and <laughs> thought the money was pretty neat, but somewhere along the way, I forgot all about the money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For me, in uh, documents and things like that, you know, I mean, the historical part of that is really exciting, like a really nice Abraham Lincoln letter, or I was just involved in um, helping someone handle a bunch of uh, Thomas Jefferson, etc., and I love Thomas Jefferson. And, and that, that part of it, I understand why people pay the money for these 
documents and things, you know, to have something that this person penned and held in their hands and a little piece of history right there. You know, it's very oh, exciting. Oh, absolutely. That, that's got to give you goosebumps on the back of the neck when you're holding something like this, realizing these are the men that formed our country. These are the men that gave mm. us what we have today. And, and it's a way to have some sort of brief kind of momentary connection with them. Now, one more question I have for you. This is kind of a little off track of everything we talked about, but how do you think the, and I've never asked anyone this before, but how do you think the general downsizing of the baby boomer generation is going to affect our business in general? We felt 10 years ago that there was a shrinking in the marketplace of antiques and that the, mm -hmm. the baby boomers were our primary customer and that they were going to be the ones that were going to sustain us through the rest of our business careers. And when this economy thing came about and so much money was removed from them, it, it gave mm. me pause. I was like, all right, this is our customer that's been most significantly impacted. Mm. But I find that these people, I mean, this is a great country and a very resilient group of people. And they are still passionate about these antiques, and they love mm -hmm. these things. Mm -hmm. So maybe they'll have a little bit less money to spend, but I think they're still going to want to have these things be a part of their lives. Mm -hmm. And so I believe that we will survive this, that we will come through it, you know, maybe with a few less customers and maybe a few less dealers, but there will still be interest and there will still be appreciation for fine things. So, I sure hope so. I'm optimistic. That's great. Well, I can't think of a better way to end the podcast on a note like that. So, <laughs> Martin, I would like to thank you. I'm I'm so pleased that you you know reached out after all these years because I enjoyed our association years back, and it was kind of you to think of us again and give us a jingle. You bet. All right, Bruce. Well, this is Martin Willis with Bruce Chrissy, and I'm signing off. <laughs>